Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the Diet Frozen Yogurt Bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. Listeners, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Coffee and Comics Podcast. I'm your host, the caffeinated Clinton Robison. Normally on this show, I review a comic or comics-related media in the span of time it takes to have a nice little coffee break. I say usually because I don't always accomplish that goal, but it's almost always for the best when I don't. Almost. But I promised you an exciting episode, and that's exactly what you'll get from me today, because this time around I have the extreme pleasure to be interviewing comics professional and creator of Geek Girl, Sam Johnson. Sam, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Now, you might be a bit of an unknown to many of the listeners. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, so, uh, yeah, I'm a comics writer. I kind of got my start uh, back in the day entering some talent searches. Uh, Wizard Comics magazine ran one for Malibu Comics, both now defunct, <laughs> but that's not my fault. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I placed in in, uh, in that contest where you had to submit, like, a filler story for a Malibu superheroes character. And then I kind of got hooked, image, ran some talent searches. I, I entered them, just basically, yeah, kind of did all right in talent searches, started doing my own comics, got into anthologies, and then uh, Geek Girl is is my uh, big one, which has gone from being a, a – we did a zero-issue black and white back in the day to a mini-series, uh, and now the second series has become ongoing, and we're on issue five at the moment, which is the jump-on issue and the beginning of a new direction for Geek Girl. Okay, and I'm so glad you brought up Malibu because I was such a fan back in the day myself. Oh, good times. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it was a funny how that sort of went out because they were, they were doing well and then uh, they weren't. <laughs> so you were a fan of comics growing up. Um, were there any particular titles or characters that you followed? Yeah, uh, Captain Carrot and uh, I think it, it's the Amazing Zoo crew, which is... Made a couple of uh, comebacks, possibly in sort of older reality. I know Jeff Johns did something with them a while back. Uh, and, you know, your, 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 your classics, your, your Spidey, most most Marvel books. Oh, was there a particular era of Marvel that you were following, or just pretty much from the time you started reading comics? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, from the time I started reading it, I was, I was into it as a kid. I kind of went off from in, in my teenage years, but came back on, uh, in the, uh, the Rob Liefeld Deadpool cable era and, uh, Deadpool's Deadpool's a character I I've uh, well, one of my favourites and that I have aspirations to write and uh, I'm enjoying the new uh, the new 
take on Deadpool as King of the Monsters from Kelly Thompson and Chris Bacala. Oh, nothing wrong with that. So, did you know? <clears throat> excuse me. So, did you always know you wanted to be a writer, or did you have other aspirations back in the day? I was kind of always going to be a writer um, at the, the time I was deciding exactly what I would was going to be a writer of was when these these talent searches came up and uh, yeah once I got into them I was hooked. You initially were thinking just anything as far as a writer, just so you could get pen to paper, so they say. Well, I think I was sort of possibly journalism but the the creative side was you know what what i was more drawn to and uh, yeah at that time I just recently again the the uh the cable and deadpool rob lifefield era i got back into comics so it just kind of clicked and uh, yeah comics i mean I, I you know i've got ideas for my comics to be turned into like TV shows, but primarily writing them as comics is is my my main thing and what I enjoy the most. Okay, well, who would you consider to be your influences as a writer? Uh, biggest influence, I always I always reference Grant Morrison as run Doom Patrol, uh, great out there. Um, some fantastical ideas and, and that influence has actually come in, more into play and now that Geek Girl's become ongoing and I've got the scope to bring some of my weirder ideas and uh, yeah Jim, Jim, Jim Shaw, Grant Morrison's one of his favourite and, and I've only recently because the um, well I've only recently started watching the, the TV show and uh, really loving that great great take on it Oh, I'm, I'm sure they would be happy to hear that you're enjoying the show I know I'm a huge fan of it myself. Uh, definitely looking forward to see yeah, see what you bring in as far as the weirder side to Geek Girl. Now, you worked on a title called uh, Cabracini Voodoo Junkie Hit Woman. Uh, yeah, Cabracini is the correct pronunciation, Clinton, but pretty much everyone. <laughs> Everyone pronounces it seeming. Carbacini Voodoo Junkie Hitwoman is a character that so far appeared annually in a Halloween issue of an anthology called If X. Carba is an ex crack whore turned supernatural gun for hire. She's cleaned up her act, but her new addiction is her own bastardized version of voodoo, uh, which you can use in, in all kinds of uh, imaginative ways, one of which is to access the, the twisted, hidden upper level of limbo, which she can use as a shortcut between wherever she is and where she wants to go. However, the ruler of, of this that's called the infinite, the dimension, doesn't take kindness to Cabra using it this way, and it's kind of throwing a lot of physical and mental abuse at her to try and prevent her, and, and as a result, she's losing her mind a little bit. And she's going to be coming to the page of the Geek Girl, so that's going to be interesting. In fact, on the, the issue we're currently working on, issue six, uh, which follows on from the current issues beginning a new direction, Cabra is coming to the page of the Geek Girl, and that's something I'm uh, very much looking forward to. See, I was just curious about the weirdness, and God, I mean, yeah, that's the weirdness, Yeah, Voodoo Junkie Hit Woman is a title that just grabs my attention and demands I read it. So, knowing that she's going to be showing up in Geek Girl, that just doubles my pleasure right there. 
Cool. Yeah. No, people always always dig the name, and uh, yeah, there is a there is a Cabra mini series uh, that's mostly done, but I'm I'm kind of holding it back to introduce the via Geek Girl first, and then uh, we're going to get to uh, explore Cabra as well further. But the the story arc I've got planned for in Geek Girl is is something I've had I've had uh, in the camp for some time, and I'm uh, really excited to bring to uh, to my comics universe. Okay, moving on to Geek Girl specifically, can you tell the listeners a little overview of the series and where you came up with the idea for? Yes, so uh, came up with the idea just, uh, again, another talent such as brainstorming ideas, the image shadow, shadow lines, you guys, right? Who wants to create a superheroine contest where it was just come with ideas for superheroines? And I came up with three, and Geek Girls the one. I, it was a prototype version then, but I decided I want to stick with this and really run with this and I've developed it into what it is. Geek Girl is Ruby Kay, a, a hot popular college chick who lands a pair of super tech glasses on a drunken whim. Uh, they give a flight and super strength powers, but she's not used to handling these super strength powers and when she's trying to demonstrate her newfound abilities to a cool click kids uh it doesn't go down well they're, they're not buying the super thing all she ends up doing is knocking drinks over their expensive designer dresses not being used to the super strength uh she alienates them but her best friend summer is is into the whole superhero thing pushes her into becoming a superhero and uh yeah ruby kind of grows and uh she's got to the point now where she's uh kind of saved the city of Maine where they live and has been offered a, a, a slot in a new super team, which is which is uh, where we come in in issue five. Okay, a bit of spoilers for people, but uh, after the initial miniseries, you had Summer Takeover for Ruby for a few issues. Uh, that was kind of a bold move, you know, considering how early on you are in the series. Were there... <laughs> plans for summer to rejoin the ranks of superheroes later on maybe in her own identity well what happened with summer was i mean summer is integral to geek girl she jokingly came up with the name geek girl for ruby following the the aforementioned klutzy actions summer's a fashion student she designed her costume she's got posters of superheroes adorning her dorm walls she's she's into the whole thing ruby without summer would not necessarily have come up with it however um when the mini Arc, the miniseries arc concludes Ruby's taking on this the, the big bad lightning storm and defeats her but gets electrocuted and put in a coma into the process so where the ongoing starts uh, Summer's kind of filling in for her but she's not really adept at it uh, the the beginning of, of that arc sees her trying to when she's flying around and she spots a, 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 a mug and she's trying to land just so sort of knocks him into the wall and knocks him out but not without doing too much harm but misjudges it and smashes him through this hardware store window and the hardware store guy's more bothered about the damage <laughs> she's done to his store than anything else uh so yeah she doesn't prove herself to have the propensity for it that ruby has so when ruby quite soon into that arc comes out of the coma ruby ruby regains the mantle uh but uh yeah, without being too spoilery, it's summer is. I like to keep things really unpredictable with this series, hence, hence partly the summer taking over and then Ruby coming back as, as quickly as it happened. But yes, yeah, summer in some context is going to get another shot in the in the geek girl costume, 
and that is in the going to be in the current art. The next two issues of which are going to kind of yeah, we'll get we'll get into that. Okay. Uh, well, Geek Girl definitely feels like a very 21st century story, obviously, since we are knee deep into the 2000s now. But um, especially with the heroes and villains connected to social media and light culture, it really feels like it's connected to pretty much everything that's going on. Are you attempting to make any commentary on things by doing it this way, or are you just striving for a more modern sense of realism? Yeah, it's, it's the latter, really. I mean, yeah, phones uh, factor into the, the lives of, of people, of well, of most people, um, in a big way now, and like we've got like a um, issue three of the the miniseries cover ad, uh, a, a photo of of Ruby K Geek Girl taking a selfie after she's got this bad guy she's just knocked out in a headlock taking a smiley selfie of a photo of them with that, and uh, yeah, she stays in contact some of the time while she's on a superheroism again in the in the the miniseries she's kind of getting. Uh, feedback on a superhero banter as, as she goes from summer. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly a modern sensibility. And, and Ruby's 21, so she's the age where, you know, she's into Facebook and, and Instagram and selfies and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, there's, a, there's an incident that puts her on YouTube, which, uh, which involving a, an alt girl, uber alt girl, Nina Dante, who has a cybernetic eye just for for the show? She's like gone one step further than the, the tats and piercings, and has this glowing eye. But uh, yeah, that the fight with her ends up on YouTube, and that leads to something further in the in the uh, first arc of the mini series of the ongoing series. All all of this you can still get, by the way. The mini series uh, collection is called Lightning Strikes. And uh, the first four issues of the ongoing is Crime War and the both on Amazon. So very easy to get hold of. But always always search Geek Hyphen Girl because there is a book called Geek Girl. And if you're looking for superheroes and you buy that, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, have you gotten any sort of negative feedback about Geek Girl's appearance at all? Uh, I think there's... Uh, a little. I mean, it's it's fairly traditional to have you know a, a fairly skimpy superheroine costume, and the thing of it is, it's like it is the character. Ruby is, you know, was uh, is was quote unquote a hot popular card. She, she likes to look good. She likes to look sexy. So it comes from her personality. It's not painted on. And I always make a point of like when. We've got various variant cover artists, uh, but it's always the poses, the shots uh, are always true to the character. You you get sometimes on Kickstarters, you get, you know, quite gratuitously sexual images that don't necessarily, in some cases, do fit the characters, but don't necessarily and, and can be more of a just a, you know, a sort of, marketing gimmick so i make sure that you know the the skimpy costume is well skim it's not massively skimpy but a little bit skimpy costume is true to the character and, and any imagery that comes on with her and with it 
is true to the character, and that's that's important. It's I'm not interested in. I've I've, I've referenced before, like sometimes you get sort of fan art, which is seeing uh, depicting like Wonder Woman in a in a sort of evocative, very sexual pose, and it's not that is not something Wonder Woman would do. So I'm quite happy with the sexual uh, element of it, um, but it is it is part of what Ruby K is about. I've noticed you have a cosplay variant cover out there for one of the issues. Has Geek Girl appeared in any cosplay at conventions that you've noticed? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I, I've not done any conventions in, in, in a while, but yeah, there has been. Someone actually did a, a burlesque show in, in the Geek Girl costume, <laughs> which was cool. And it's and like the, the, the cosplay uh, artist that you, you're talking about, um, it goes by the cosplay name of Lady Larkin is a, is a friend of mine and she just did this costume off her own bat and um, yeah that worked out well we've got as I say the issue five has a limited variant cover with with her cosplaying geek girl and uh, yeah it's 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 good it's uh, a nice little collectible. Uh, this may sound like a bit of a pessimistic question but do you have an end goal in mind for Geek Girl or do you just plan on telling her story as long as you can with the ongoing. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to get it. I've spent a long time building up the audience for it. Geek Girl Zero, the black and white, um, smaller comic, uh, came out in 2009. And then it took quite, the girl that worked on that usually does more sort of manga style, more slice of life. So it was, it was kind of an experiment for her. And it, and it worked because, <coughs> excuse me, it was it was basically Ruby in college and, and gaining the powers. Now we're we're in full superhero mode. We needed someone that could have you know a wide screen that can could do you know action comfortably and, and so forth. And it took a while to find Carlos Granda. So Carlos Granda is, is the artist who nails it and brings so much to it. And um, yeah, basically it's built from a zero to a mini to another mini which has then become ongoing so it was always my intention to make it ongoing i've got loads of plans for it and quirky characters that have already appeared i've got more in mind for i've got real big plans for it so i'm certainly not looking to uh, end it anytime soon there's loads i want to do with it and i want to explore you know the the development of ruby k going from what was initially a fairly sort of superficial it girl used to getting to what she wants to being you know kind of self-sacrificing heroine uh learning who her true friends are um although still being part of this click which is it's going to be interesting how that goes because the, the the high concept really is kind of mean girls with superheroes so Karin Carpenter who's the the archer bitch of the, of the click uh remains uh a part of it and they kind of after an, Ruby's initial klutzy actions before she actually became a heroine and met him by the superhero thing apart from some of her distance herself from her but when Ruby saved the city uh she became popular and they want to be part of what's popular so they've done a complete u-turn from alienates her to want to be part of her life and um, i'm interested to see how that that plays ruby having you know seen them for not exactly deep friends that they are well just one last question about geek girl if you could compare her to anybody that is a 
well, I mean, more well-known hero from either Marvel or DC, who would you compare her to so that listeners might know kind of what they're getting into? Um, I don't think there's any one that's all that similar. Uh, if any, and it's a, it's a tenuous comparison, I'd compare a, a little bit to Jessica Jones in kind of the realness. I, it's, it's in a lot of reviews have, have said that her and Summer, Ruby and Summer, come across as real. And also she's kind of aware to a degree of the kind of, not nonsense, but for want of a better word, of the whole superhero thing. She perceives it, you know, Jessica Jones perceives it a certain way and, and Ruby is, is not a, a dark character like Jessica, so it's, it's different. But they can both perceive it in a way... Like the kind of, for example, in, in issue five, uh, when Ruby joins the super team, they're doing these, these videos to the, each member of the team's got a video to introduce themselves and Ruby's recounting her origin is quite embarrassed by it now, which in, entailed uh, getting the resident college brainiac who'd invented these super tech glasses, him and his friend drunk. Her uh, Ruby and her friend Stacy, and winning the glasses off of them again in a, in a game of strip poker, which in back in the day Ruby was fine with, but now she's matured and <laughs> got a little bit more uh, worldly. She now perceives this as quite embarrassing, and uh, and kind of references where that <laughs> where that fits on the. Uh, the sort of Clark Kent, Peter Parker scale, which it doesn't come across brilliantly. <laughs> okay, I, I can definitely see that comparison. And as many times as I've read, you know, won it in the game of strip poker and all the summaries, listeners, I can tell you, this is at most a PG-13 book. So it's not a terrible scene, I promise. No, no, no. That's, I mean, that's, that is like a, a one-panel flashback. And the, 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 the kind of thing of it is Ruby and her friend don't really lose their clothes. They get the guys drunk so that they can easily beat them. It's, it's kind of what it's about really is showing them sort of using their sexuality uh, in a manipulative manner, which again is where Ruby comes from, but something that she grows and evolves from. Sam, we're going to move on to what is the uh, quote-unquote traditional coffee and comics quiz so that listeners can know a little bit more about you as a writer and your personality. Cool. So on the Coffee and Comics podcast, we do support beverage of choice. So what would you consider your beverage of choice? Vodka and Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big, big fan of that. The, the poor man's Nintendo, as Alexis Sale described it, because it makes you like Super Mario. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's definitely an easy answer for me. That one. Okay, well, they just get a little bit harder from here. So, if you had to choose Betty or Veronica. Uh, to, to be honest, I have absolutely no experience of anything Archie, so I could not answer that, I'm afraid. Oh, that's a first. Hear that, folks? We have a first on the Coffee and Comics podcast. <laughs> All right, well, moving right along, do you prefer Wolfman Perez Teen Titans or Claremont Byrne X-Men? Uh, X-Men, absolutely. Uh, um, I think that 
that era, not not just Byrne, but Clarence era up until a point had a real something special about it, a unique feel, which I don't think it well it doesn't have now because it's it's different creators. There was something really special about it. Um and I'm much more of a Marvel uh, guy than than a, a DC, but having said that, Titans and Doom Patrol, there's a bit of crossover between those and uh, you know, Doom Patrol is one of my favourites. Which comic book character or series do you feel is most in need of an animated or live action adaptation? Hmm. I think the the thing that DC are doing at the moment with Harley Quinn is a uh, a nice move, and Kelly Cuoco doing the the voice. I'm I'm really interested to see that. So that's not in need because it's happening. Uh, but uh, were it not happening, that would be my answer. So, who do you consider a villain most in need of decaf? <laughs> uh, most in need of decaf? Well, Norman Osborn uh, could do with calming down. Or anyone that's that's read the recent um, Carnage uh, crossover, <laughs> he's uh, he's been having some fun times in that. So, yeah, I think he, he, he possibly could use uh, staying away from any kind of substances and, and going back to himself for, for a bit of a bit of downtime. Okay, so moving right along, who do you consider to be the best super pet? Uh, super pet, uh, Fog, out of <laughs> <laughs> the current Doom Patrol, uh, in the, the Weight of the Worlds being the current series, Gerard Way's run. Fog, uh, the, his introduction, he's, he's a kind of bug-eyed looking little creature, and uh, if I remember correctly, the introduction, he had some sort of tape recorder or something in him that um that they removed and it was all like covered in goo imagine like a sort of kangaroo's pouch or something uh and, and all he says is fuck uh but that, that seems to work so <laughs> yeah oh i do enjoy fog okay so can mighty mouse beat up the george reeves superman uh well, that's, that's a very <laughs> difficult question to I would say no. Uh, George Reeves' Superman is, is significantly larger in size than Mighty Mouse. Uh, so I would, I would say possibly not, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, very difficult, you know, philosophical uh, question, though, but I'm, I'm going uh, to lean on no with that. All righty. And your final question. Do you choose a lifetime of cheap comics, but Doctor Doom has a grudge against you? Or comics are highly expensive, but Doctor Doom owes you a favor? Mm, I think you could benefit a lot from a favor from Doctor Doom. Um, and his, his, uh, his sort of morality seems to be somewhat malleable. So that's not necessarily going to have to be something bad. And at the same time, if he had a grudge against you, he, he could possibly get over that. Uh, I'm not too bothered about the price of comics because I've got such a massive backlog to read that I've, I, I, I don't buy too many right now because uh, I've got a load to get through. So I, I'll take the favor on that, I think. <laughs> All righty. Well, that was definitely entertaining. I, I'm sure all the listeners enjoyed it as well. Sam, I do appreciate you joining me on this podcast today. I do 
please tell the listeners where they can find you online and where they can find Geek Girl as well. Okay, well, I'm quite easy to find on uh, Facebook. Uh, if you search Sam Johnson, you'll likely see a picture of Geek Girl as a profile picture. Uh, GeekGirlComics.com also links you to the, my Facebook and Twitter and, and to getting uh, the Geek Girl Comics. Everything's available there. Uh, the aforementioned Amazon if you if you end up bringing up the wrong book on Amazon, you can you can link to it there. So yeah, geekgirlcomics.com. Pretty much everything spins out of that. So uh, anywhere you want to find me, go to that. You'll be able to find me. And once again, I do highly encourage everybody to check out Geek Girl. It was a breath of fresh air and the perfect indie book to look at. You know, just any time. Uh, again, Sam, thank you for joining me and. This is unfortunately where we will have to part ways, and I will be back with some listener feedback. He has been challenged to read all the comics he has collected. This podcast will summarize, review, and reminisce about a single comic book issue and the time period somewhat chronologically by release date. He keeps a stack of comics near his bedside for when the time is right. Who is this interesting comic fan and what is the podcast? Hello, my name is Pat. I don't normally do podcasts about the comic books I read, but when I do, I podcast about them on The Longbox Crusade. Listen to it on iTunes, Stitcher, or on thelongboxcrusade.com and check out the Facebook page. Read them all, my friends. Hey, everybody. Thanks for sticking with me for the listener feedback portion. This is where I love to shout out everybody who liked, shared, retweeted, all that fun stuff, all of the previous shows. If it weren't for the listeners, I would just be sitting here talking to myself. So truly, I appreciate you, every single one of you. So for our last episode, which was, you know, a a little while ago, our kind of semi-spooky Halloween feature with uh, Herman Lowe, we got Twitter likes and retweets from Longbox of Darkness, Ronnie Castle, Scumboys, Collected Edition, Green Lantern HG, Dave's Comic Heroes blog, Roy Patel Drakov, Graves Make Roses Bloom, Secret Wars and Beyond, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Lord Metallic, Son of Cthulhu, Billy Delicious, Zombieland, Dabble Tap, okay, Silver Fox, Seditious Stitches, Dean Robert Willits, Martin Gray, Laurel Mountain Flower, Alan Middleton, Rad Adventures Network, The Comic Boo Guy, Anthony Toth, Weapon Extra at House of Secrets, Skelly Ice, Jennifer DeRoss, Sentinel of Liberty Podcast, Stimbot 5000, Reading Comics, Lee Broughton, Sex and Monsters, The Hammer Strikes, Paul Hicks, Tribal at Tribal Quake, Psychotronic Cinemas, Zach Sally, and Jordan Lee. And over on Facebook, we got likes and shares from Mike Peacock, Jerry Green, Gene Hendricks, Hal Jordan, Al Sedano, Pat Sampson, Herman Lowe, Magazines and Monsters, and Darren and Ruth Sutherland. 
If I said anybody's name wrong or missed somebody in there, please let me know. I'll correct it on a future episode. So, we only got one bit of feedback on the last episode, but that was from Billy Delicious over on Twitter moments after the episode went up. He said, already listened in and loved it. I've seen these comics slabbed for sale, and even in low grade, they're hundreds of dollars. Well, it's not too surprising since they were probably a pretty low print run to begin with, and being from the Golden Age, hey, everybody's going to want them. So that's it for this time around. You can always message me on Twitter at CoffeeComicsBLG. You can email CoffeeAndComicsPodcast at gmail.com. Or leave a message on the website, coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. And remember, this is the place where the comics are never too old and the coffee is never too cold. This has been a Coffee and Comics production. All material referenced herein is copyright the respective owners and is believed covered under fair use. Feedback can be left by emailing coffeeandcomicspodcast at gmail.com, visiting the website at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com, or on Twitter at coffeecomicsblg. 